James Senegal once said, technology helps us become more efficient and productive, but our business still has a lot of art as opposed to strictly science. Are you tinkering, self-learning, self-improving, experimenting with home labbing? And do you want to become a skilled IT expert? Well, you've found your new home. This is the Home Labbers Podcast. On this show, we'll interview top experts and dig deep to learn how they got started and how they train their IT skills as a master martial artist in a Shaolin temple. And you know what? We're going to have fun along the way. This is the Home Labbers Podcast. And now your host, Vian Du. All right, let's do this. Paul, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I really appreciate you inviting me. Before we dive into home lab topic, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. I've been in IT almost uh, 30 years. So starting out with uh, IBM in the 90s gives you an idea of uh, what I was doing then. It was early internet. And um, actually, I was playing with OS2 before I joined IBM. And I got to see the early days in the university environment. Um, what it was like to hop on the internet and help students get on the internet. So modems and all that stuff moving into the late nineties, it became ISDN in my home. So that's the word home, right? Home lab. I always had a high speed internet connection. I was the first person in my town of 26,000 to get ISDN. Why? Cause I worked from home at least one day a week, my entire career, all the way from the early nineties through to today. Um, and during that 21 years at IBM, um, I had four different jobs Two of them absolutely required some sort of home lab to rehearse what I was going to do as I hopped on a plane on a, you know, Friday booked a flight when someone said, Hey, can you get to Mississippi by noon on Monday? Sure. <laughs> booked the flights at lunchtime. And then all afternoon spent figuring out what PDFs do I need to print and read on the plane? And um, what do I need to install in my lab to make sure I'm ready for that customer environment? So that was my career at IBM. And then in 2017, I got to do vSAN work at VMware for two and a half years. It was an awesome opportunity to talk to hundreds of customers about software-defined storage solutions like vSAN ReadyNotes and VxRail products. So that was my pivot to pre-sales. All that time at IBM was post-sales, racking and stacking servers, updating firmware, uh, helping customers through whatever problems they might have with performance or just um, you know outage events, all kinds of zany stuff. And I fly to 35 of the 50 states. It was the last part of my uh, IBM career as well as post-sales storage support, being on call for about seven years before I um, changed the IBM role over to VMware. So all sorts of different roles, a lot of them very much hands-on. So keeping my skills up was always on me. Even these giant companies, it was hard to get a license key for VMware, for instance, even as an IBMer. Um, that was less of the case as a VMware employee, but now um, moving forward to, let's see, 2019, I had a job in HCI installing a bunch of HCI appliances for a company called Pivot3, and then an opportunity arose at Dell, where the last two and a half years I got to work uh, at Dell, mostly focused on VxRail and HCI solutions, where, again, even though it's a large company, any kind of hardware or installing ESXi hypervisor on bare metal 
that's still on me. That's still on my own home lab. That was true at VMware too. Uh, VMware was a software company, not so much providing you hardware for your, your home lab. So uh, like a lot of IT pros, it doesn't really matter how big or small a company you work for. You tend to be on your own needing a budget of something like one, two or $3,000 a year, US dollars to keep yourself educated and keep some hardware going and um, keep at the you know leading edge of technology. So that's a little bit about me. me. Maybe I went a little longer than you wanted, but there you go. Now you know my life story. How did you get started with home labbing and where did you get the idea? Yeah. So that job in the, uh, let's see, in 2000, looking at a plaque on my wall here, 2006, I changed careers within IBM, moving on to the road, uh, flying all over the country. And that's when it became clear that having some hand me down old IBM server might be useful. So I could rehearse the firmware update on a RAID controller or something I'd be doing at a customer site that Monday or Tuesday. So that became a recurrent theme for years. Like, wow, it really helps to have some software and hardware in my home. And by the way, from year 2005, uh, 2002, ESX, uh, GSX days of VMware, I've been using you know VMware products for about two decades, about 20 years. So the common theme was I needed some hardware to run it on and to kind of rehearse what I was about to do because I was quite comfortable with Windows and Windows Server world. But what about when you get to update a firmware device driver or, or VIB on VMware? And for that, there was really no substitute to having the actual, some of the hardware in my home since uh, even at IBM, I didn't really have access to labs that would replicate a lot of what uh, customers had. So at least a RAID controller or two and an ESXi host or two. But they were pretty heavy and in a half rack, not ideal. But that's, that is where I got started. Uh, the idea of my current home lab, though, you also hinted at that. Where, where did I get the idea? Well, this heavy stuff needed to go. <laughs> uh, electricity in here in Connecticut, in all of New England, the northeastern corner of the United States, super expensive. Uh, much more expensive than the rest of the country, including like triple what it is in Texas or even quadruple some areas. That means you think a little differently about things like as you get older, do you want to be lifting machines? And I actually had a... Um, well, a surgery I had to recover from, so I wasn't going to be lifting anything for many months. I'll leave it at that. That's just got me thinking, like, I really need to go smaller. And then starting my blog in 2011, uh, it became clear that even my 50 or 80 pound server that was quite loud and quite large, that needed to be shrunk down to something much more practical. All I really needed was a efficient machine I could run 24-7, not something slow, uh, slow-ish and old that I have to boot and wait, you know, five or 10 minutes to boot. Servers tend to be dual power supply, really loud and really slow to boot. None of what you want for a home lab where you really would rather leave something burning under well under hundred Watts at idle that you can use in an instant, click in your browser, log in and be ready to tech, check something out in your home lab um, in three or four seconds. So that was really my slant in 2013 was my focus building a home lab. And then finally in 2015, 2016 timeframe, it finally became real when Intel launched the Intel Xeon D. We'll talk about that a little bit in the reasons. Um, so yeah, do you have any other questions about where I got started and how I needed it? It was part of my career. I needed to keep myself up to date on this. So what were the reasons behind this? Yep. Um, so partly for keeping on top of my job at IBM, but then it became partly to move my career forward. So remember I mentioned I did a vSAN SE role at, at VMware. Getting ready for that was partly going to VMware user groups. I met uh, a future manager in Providence, Rhode Island. I didn't know anybody there. I just went to a user group to hear about vSAN. He was presenting about vSAN. I learned a lot. I'll just shout out to Peter Kelty, was his name. Awesome manager. Years later, he became a manager. And uh, when he was about to become a manager, he gave me a call and said, uh, would you be interested? In, and, and that was awesome. We stayed in touch. 
And I was, you know, searching at that time. And then just so happens that opportunity came along where they're growing a team. VSAN and home lab was tough. I'll say you could do it in a nested config kind of William lamb style. It's much more practical to run say four ESXi hosts on one server, but to actually go out and buy four Intel nooks and have all those little fans whining and, and all the wiring, it just didn't appeal to me because I leave my stuff running at home. So my home lab is more like a home data center. It's run with a UPS battery backup to shut down gracefully. If the power goes out of my house, it's a mini data center. So my, my logic, the way I run things is kind of different than most people. And you can see why uh, well, you're not doing video here, but for the audience listening here, um, I got a picture and I'm actually showing it to you in the screen where you can see it's a very compact home lab with a battery. That's like pretty large right next to a mini tower server and a little uh, 10 gig switch and a little uh, power strip that you can turn on and off each port as needed. So I flew around the country and presented that at various VMOX. So it became a career pivot, became a get myself learning vSAN by trying my home lab kind of thing. And then finally, even as I was, was a VMware employee, occasionally I'd still be using my home lab to either present um, just vSphere, the basic VMware skills that you needed to go to various vMugs here in the, uh, been in the Boston vMug, one in uh, upstate in uh, Vermont, been in New York City many times, New Jersey. I spoke at a lot of vMugs here where I'm within a four hour drive of like five different vMugs. And that was another reason for my home lab, something compact. I could actually stick a note over where I've been in an airplane or drive around easily to various user groups. So there were many reasons. So I'm so glad you asked the reason stuff for me. The list is very long. Uh, career, skills, public demonstration, de- live demos, give myself practice in front of customers. Because frankly, a lot of my career was in loud data centers without talking to humans that much, just installing them, getting them ready. And then before flying out on Friday, telling the customer how to use it in kind of a classroom situation, but that's not the same as public speaking in front of a crowd of, you know, 50 IT professionals that are going to grill you pretty hard with some deep questions. So it was also to get me ready for that, that extracurricular stuff, not just day job stuff. How did your first home lab look? Sure. It was called Vzilla. So if you go to takeyourtry.com forward slash Vzilla, you would see it. Uh, quite large, almost 30 inches tall, probably about 10 inches wide, some um, padding on the inside of this big metal case to try to t- lower the noise, a noisy Intel CPU in there, a Core i7, not really on the VMware compatibility list, never will be, it's a consumer processor. And USB 3 was my friend. Uh, this is 2013 where you couldn't format uh, an eight terabyte drive and give it a VMFS file system. You were stuck at two terabytes. Well. I had daily backups. I had way more than two terabytes of data and videos and other stuff that I do. I, I produce content for my website. So it became a project where I did the craziest thing. Um, VTD or pass through. I took a USB adapter a controller, a PCI card. VMware lets you pass through a PCI card right through to a VM. So I passed that through to a Windows home server VM. And ta-da, I've mounted a USB 3 drive to a Windows server VM where ESXi is basically just passing that USB 3 external 8 terabyte drive right through to that VMs for daily backups. Goofy Franken build, right? Where you've got a server that has external drives, external cables. And at one point I did an eSATA VMFS as well. Also bad idea. I actually corrupted the VMFS that had about six terabytes of data. Not a fun feeling to see a purple screen of death when you bump a cable that just doesn't have a locking mechanism. You say it is terrible for VMFS data store. So like a lot of home labbers, I learned things the hard way. I had some rough starts there in my early days of blogging 2011 to 2015 or so. 
until finally I came up with a compact solution where everything was fully supported by VMware. And um, yeah, so that you asked me about my first home lab. That's it. Vizilla, uh, quite a beast, quite a, an ugly beast and not very practical and certainly not something I can move around or bring to user groups. What was your first home lab project? Um, probably when I got a half rack out of a dumpster where IBM was letting you, uh, giving away stuff as they're cleaning up in the mid, let's see, 20, 2005 timeframe. And that's where I got some uh, hand-me-down gear that was fully depreciated and off of IBM's books. And you could legitimately take it home and see if you can make use of it. So if you want to call that a home lab, a science project in my luckily unfinished off area of my basement here in New England, we're lucky enough to have full basements. So the noise and the heat could be kept away from the family. Cool, but the electric bill couldn't be kept away from my wife and I. That was eye popping some months. It'd be about $1,400 in electricity a year to leave that thing running 24 seven. Not at all interested in that. When you're gonna run something for three or four years, I would do the math and be like, great, I got the server for free. I'm about to spend five grand to run this thing for the next three years. No. <laughs> so you can see my first home labs were multiple failures before I finally arrived at something in 2015 that I could just leave it running. How did you fund your home lab? Mm, that's a good one. Um, 2016, 2017, finally Google algorithms started trusting tinkertry.com. At that point, I had about six or 800 articles. The Google algorithms, the search index would start finding articles and actually surface some of my early NVMe work and Intel Optane work right there is number one or number two Google hits. I'll just freely admit it, buy, sell ads, save my bacon there. As I tried to grow and had a budget of more like five figures a year in hardware, because my stuff is not sponsored posts. It's hardware I buy myself and the stuff I keep that works out, I blog about. Um, buy, sell ads was something where I could just put some code in, my, in a widget area of my website and post space for vendors to place ads. And that helped fund my increasingly pricey budget where my entire career, it's been about one to two grand a year on hardware and software that quickly grew. Once I was creating content for a blog, testing out things like NASA's and very various motherboards from uh, gigabyte and Supermicro and um, uh, Asus. I test out many different brands of hardware and software and monitors and laptops and so forth. So that is difficult. I would say there's, there's hundreds of virtualization focused blogs today's world in 2022. It's very difficult to attract enough advertiser revenue for it to really work out. A lot of people really want to just watch YouTube videos and um, have maybe ads injected there. So the world is definitely changing, getting revenue from placing a simple buy, sell ads code and having three or four vendors just be interested in about a million a year plus readers that would get their attention. They place an ad. I have to do much work. Those days are over. It's now a lot of work to land any kind of advertiser. But it's a good thing you asked. It's a difficult thing. I've always been pretty transparent with my audience. If any of my, th uh, I think I'm up to 1200 articles. If any of them had long-term loans or hardware donated to me, I say it right there in the article, right? Fully disclosing. But probably 98% of my articles are stuff I bought myself. Um, and that is difficult. Um, so my blog posts tend to be about success stories like Eero for Wi-Fi that I keep around my house for years or Ecobee for thermostats or... Uh, Netgear for low-end one-gig switches or um, CyberPower for six different UPS batteries I have around my house. Those are all things I kept for years. So I blog about things like a month or two after I get them, once I've kicked the tires for a while. And then sometimes I revisit those articles two or three years later saying, yeah, was it a success story in the end? So yeah, my home lab is very much not just PC servers. It's a, a bunch of other stuff too that goes around pretty much any IT professional who is, tends to help their family and friends on weekends and evenings with things like Wi-Fi and 
gigabit um, internet for uh, which is right over my shoulder, uh, ubiquity one gig router for my one gig connection to the internet through Cox communications, gigablast, that kind of thing. So all of that costs money and hosting a website. Anyone learns quickly when you get from like a hundred thousand and over all the way to a million a year, you start having problems with companies wanting to cut you off or the content delivery network. You might get charged with overages. They're really encouraging to move to something that's going to be more like 50 to 80 bucks a month just to run. And I think if you were to ask uh, some of the top bloggers out there, there are some creative ways to get a bit cheaper about it, but um, yeah, you do need a budget to run a blog that has a sizable audience. So it's a blessing, but it also required me to create an LLC. So that uh, Google ads, uh, ads in YouTube and then um, buy sell ads. So those vendors could, companies can pay you. And for that, you need an LLC, a business so that you get, you know, direct deposit in a business checking account. So I learned all of that in 2011 to 2013 I was just starting out. And then by fin- finally, by 2015, I was finally somewhat financially solvent, no longer draining my wife and my, my, my personal accounts and now at least breaking even on writing the blog. So my hobby of 20 plus years now became a writing hobby that didn't hurt us financially. At least it you know, broke even most years. How your home lab looks right now and what do you have now there? Yeah, right now I have two super micro mini towers. They're called SYS 5028D-10 Simple word is bundle company named Wired Zone in Florida sells bundles. Over a thousand people bought these where they run VMware ESXi 6.5, 6.7, or 7.0, all the way through update three with full VMware support for six years now coming up on seven. So that's a big success story. thousand people get to keep their machine for five plus years running with full support. That turnkey solution is something I developed and tested after using Gigabyte motherboards, Asus motherboards. Um, there's another uh vendor I've looked at from um, that never imported to the U S that was a failed project that I never really published much about, but I always had an open mind. I don't really care who makes the ZND processor, a little 6.7 inch square motherboard with two 10 gig interfaces and lots of NVMe storage options, which is perfect for VMware. It turns out though, time would tell that almost everyone was just making one U edge IOT kind of devices that had very loud one U style, high RPM fans. You're nodding your head like anyone in IT. Not pleasant in a home, even in the back area of my basement. I don't want that thing whining anywhere near humans. And a lot of people feel the same way. So the mini tower only got made by one company, regrettably, in any kind of affordable price point. There'd be some military applications, but they'd start at like six grand or 10 grand. Okay, but what if you want something for $1,400 to start and fully loaded with RAM and 12 cores? Well, you're at about three grand, which due to supply chain and all has now become even more than three grand. Times are tough right now for anyone to buy anything. But yes, it looks like a little cube that sits in your desk about uh, 10 inches high, nine inches deep, six inches wide, and you can stuff four 3.5 inch drives in there. Um, Those are big. Those are 18 terabytes these days. Those are my daily backups. Um, And then I have another uh, two NVMe drives, M.2. One's four terabytes, one two terabytes. A second node is the same, and I repurposed it recently from ESXi over to Windows 11. I'm talking to you on that now. So I have a Windows 11 box dedicated to content creation, 4K video rendering, like what I did this week. Um, GoPro camera footage is brutal. To give you an idea of 4K video, 30 minutes of RAW, 60 frames a second 4K video. Takes um, half an hour to download from iTunes, 20 minutes to download from your phone directly over USB 2 is basically the speed. Another few hours to edit the video on something like Camtasia. Another two hours to render 30 minutes of video just to get it ready for YouTube. 
another hour or two to upload to YouTube, and then 24 hours for YouTube to finally digest that file and make it public to the world at full 4K, 60 frames a second. It's tough. <laughs> it takes some real hardware with lots of cores in my home to take one element out of that workload, and that is not have rendering take so darn long. So I'm always a person that's on the lookout for something for two or three grand that can do better. And um, luckily with the dawn of a new release of ZND 1700 and ZND 2700 recently announced and hopefully shipping by the summer in decent volumes, that'll become possible again. Maybe I can go up to 20 cores for something like three or $3,000. So always have a lookout for what's next, but um, that's how my current lab currently looks. Two nodes, One's running Windows 11 full-time. The other's running ESXi 7 out full-time for my articles. I still patch it all the time when ESXi 7.0 update 3C came out. Patched it, blogged about it, did a video about it all on that one content creation machine, which is also where my daily backups go. My vSphere is constantly running. It's got multiple VMs doing multiple things, monitoring voltage in my house. So I had some voltage sag issues where I had the electric company upgrading me. All those little data center things you do, I very much do at home and, and automated shutdown, as I mentioned before. So yes, my little mini towers are paired with batteries and each have a USB signal cable going to them so they can gracefully shut down when I lose power, which is several times a year here. Whether it's summer thunderstorms or winter ice storms, I could easily lose power for days sometimes or usually just an hour or two. So those batteries are crucial for things like Zooming and podcasting and staying connected while I'm doing my day job from home, especially the last uh, two plus years during pandemic. All of that really was useful to have all that stuff set up long before the world kind of shut down and everyone worked at home. This microphone, headset, everything I already had in place. Um, yeah. So that's how my current home lab is pretty simple. Oh, I do have a 10 gig switch too. And I do have a couple older motherboards I'm not using actively because they're only four core. So I have like a four core gigabyte motherboard I don't use very often. But I'll boot that in a pinch if I want to try some future version or some latest release of VMware and just see how it goes before I put it on my primary VMware box. But I only leave two machines powered up for my day job, the Windows 11 box and the SXI 7.0 Update 3C box. That's my lab. Oh, ups, UPS, got it. I think I have, I have seven of them. So that's a lot. I'd much rather have whole home battery backup, but that's pretty pricey. And my wife and I are in the middle of trying to figure out um, as our kids are grown, what we're going to kind of do next. But I think a lot more and more people are getting some whole home power solution, especially people in Texas or the like where they had, you know, many day power outage with ice in their house. It became pretty serious for some parts of the country. So for me, that's only going to give me 20 or 10 or 20 minutes for machines to shut down. It's not keeping me going during the storm. So for that, I still have an $800 gas generator that I only have to take out once every three or four years. If I can have a multi-day power outage, that's going to ruin all the food in my fridge and freezer. So yes, I have about seven, six or seven batteries spread around my house. Yeah, my TV, entertainment center, uh, DVR, that kind of stuff, my router. And they're in different spots in the house. It's not really convenient to have, you know, that many different batteries to have to replace every three, four years. But that's what I'm doing currently. How much knowledge have you gained while having a home lab? Oh, how much knowledge have I gained from my home lab? Yeah, probably 80% of what I learned about VMware has been from my home lab. I'd say only 20% was spent was from the um, um, VMware VCP certification process where you go to the crash course, but then you go home and practice. Yeah, probably only 20% comes from that book knowledge just pouring through getting prepped for an exam. The other 80% is doing stuff, updating bids myself, rebooting the host. Um trying new things, trying out, uh, going back level, backing up ESXi, backing up vSphere, restoring vSphere, all as a home lab. So, 
And so much of my career, um, almost 30 years, has been probably 60 or 70% VMware at any given year on average. Then, yeah, you could say my whole life has been pretty invaluable to me, especially these last five or six years where it's definitely a part of my job to know VMware pretty darn well. As best, as best I can, at least the basics of VMware vSphere. In pre-sales, I'll say the last five years in pre-sales, um, you're basically trying to establish credibility or have, it's mostly about the sidebar conversations like, oh yeah, I already tried out vSphere uh, seven and then there was a log for J and then you couldn't do anything this past Christmas. So now you're doing update three C when that finally came out, having a commonality with other people who have home labs. It's super common for people who are leaders in it. Those are the influencers in their enterprise world to also be doing this stuff evenings and weekends in their home lab. So having conversation starters or things to, uh, you know, bond with them about and, and maybe some value and just sending them an article that helps save them time is even better. It's one thing to just say, oh yeah, I happen to write something about that. I've tested it. It's even better if you can send someone an article that helps them out in their personal life or their IT life, or even better, both. And that's what my website tries to do is a lot of the articles are applicable to the IT pro who does a whole lot of stuff outside of work as well. What is the most memorable home lab story you like to share? I do. Speaking at a VMUG, um, you get on a plane, you go somewhere, you pull it out of the trunk, you get, you know, the thing at room temperature if it's winter. You try to do everything you can. But man, I've had some disasters in public demos where you go to boot it and your laptop was pinging and you were logged into vSphere 20 minutes earlier. Some other speaker gets up to speak in front of you at the VMware. Now you get up to the laptop and you make sure it doesn't suspend, right? But still, all of a sudden, I couldn't even ping, never mind show off of emotion. So that's embarrassing. You, you want to turn red. You just want to, like the whole point of me driving down or wherever I was that for that demo, I think that one's, one of them was New York City. It just crushes you when you can't do a live demo and something just goes horribly wrong and you just don't have time to troubleshoot it in front of 70 people staring at you. It happens <laughs> no matter how hard you rehearse, no matter how much you do. My home lab can be quite reliable at home, but when you take stuff on the road, including your DHCP and your DNS server, all in your little self-contained little lab, things can go wrong. And when they do, it can be pretty embarrassing. In that case, what I did was I recorded a two-minute video to show what I had planned to show live. And that was a vMotion of Windows 10, uh, Windows 7 VM at the time to show how when you use NVMe for your storage, for your VMFS data store, so N.2 SSDs really fast, NVMe, you could clone Windows 7 in like eight seconds. But I wanted to show that, not just say it. So I gave, offered basically and tweeted out a day later, hey, I'm sorry, the demo didn't work out, but here's what I had hoped to show. And here's a full video of me doing it from beginning to end. But it really does just take a few seconds to clone or deploy from a template an entire VM. So that that's not that bad a story, right? It could be much worse. In my IT career, flying around for various large companies, oh, much worse things happen. Like flying to Barcelona and having a half rack come out of the elevator and the jostling coming out of the elevator almost botched the whole trip all the way to Barcelona to do a 10-minute demo in front of a crowd of hundreds. Um, the thing that saved my bacon on that one, in front of my new manager and my new job all of two weeks, I pulled a Euro coin out of my pocket jammed it under the HBA adapter in the back of this blade center chassis, which, because I could see the chassis look like this thing had been beat up a little bit and moving, jostling it out of the elevator shaft and uh, out of the elevator didn't work too well. I could see there was a bit of a gap on one of the um, sand switches versus the other. So I just jammed a Euro underneath the sand switch to tip it up a little thinking, eh, maybe it's a connection issue. Boom. The demo went off without a hitch. Everything, all the lights came on. I was good to go. It wasn't a software issue. It was hardware. The lights were off, right? 
just this dumb little story like that. It's just one of those nerd IT, you know, victory moments. So whether it's, I'm even more nervous though, in the ones where I'm presenting at a podcast or presenting on a podcast or going to user group where it's my own stuff. It's totally on me. I have no one else to blame myself. That's even more nerve wracking, but all the more reason for people to go to VMUGs and go publicly present. If you can handle that kind of stress, you're probably going to do better at your IT day job, talking to your manager, or your colleagues, because you've been through like far worse. So there you go. <laughs> I'm a positive guy. I think I tried to turn that story into a positive. But yeah, we all got to learn from our mistakes and try not to make them happen again and again. What's scariest or most funny home lab story to like to share? <laughs> well, here's an example. I'm in Prague, Czech Republic at a conference with the Virtually Speaking podcast guys, and they invite me to record something, Fire, Flood and Blood. I hear that title wasn't particularly prepared for it. They really meant figuratively fire, flood and blood, like horror stories in your IT career. I go off and pick a dumb story about where I actually cut myself pretty bad at a customer data center, figuring out what do I do to control the bleeding in their data center without anybody noticing. Strange story to pick, maybe kind of funny, but quite cringy. And like most people, when you're on a podcast or when you're, when you're on four hours sleep in another country, whatever, all my excuses, you make mistakes on what you say and what you do. And that was not my finest moment. <laughs> just to, to pick the dumbest story to pick of all about I had to figure out what the heck to do with my blood and clean up after myself when there was no one else around in a multi-million dollar data center and it's 48 degrees and I'm figuring out, my gosh, I need to get to a bathroom. I need to handle this. There's no band-aids in the place. Those things happen. <laughs> um, so that's a cringy work story. As far as home lab story, I think the toughest would be, um, hmm, let's see. How do you, how do you say no? <laughs> it's not particularly funny, but when, when you're asked to fly somewhere or whatever, but there's no funds involved, there got to be a point where I was doing so many public presentations, 2017, 2018, I kind of had to talk, have a talk to my wife. I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm getting invited. It's great. I got stuff to talk about, but I'm getting to the point where I'm getting invited to stuff, but I got to fly there and pay for the hotel. <laughs> and that's becoming an issue. It was completely depleting whatever funds I had left for my LLC. So just a little behind the scenes thing for you that, that goes on, but man, that's a small thing to whine about. It's way better to be invited to publicly present more than you can possibly handle. And I'm super grateful for that, but I did have to learn kind of the hard way when to start saying no to things that I just couldn't tackle financially or whatever. You just got to, you know, be honest with people. And um, again, a good position to be in, uh, <laughs> but um, it can get a little tricky. So some of the behind the scenes stuff too, that would be cringeworthy would be, yeah, more cringe than funny, but yeah, working with the press and PR folks, whether it's Intel or VMware, you got to be careful. You know, embargoes are serious. And sometimes I run into scrapes there with uh, not having the right paperwork signed or not having the uh, right information from the right person or the wrong person mailed me the hardware and they didn't actually have permission to mail it to me. Some weird things that can happen. You got to be careful. So I managed to stay clean in all those and disclose them. They never ended up being a significant problem, but there's definitely behind the scenes stuff. When you're trying to look at stuff and be the first in the world to put your hands on it or blog about it, that's a whole different world that really needs full-time day job focus. And I'm an evening and weekend kind of blogger, right? So those are some other thoughts there. But um, boy, as far as humor though, um, I don't know. I, I try to crack goofy little jokes when I'm speaking at VMUG audiences and um, I try to bring props and stuff. I do a shirt change. Sometimes I'm there for my day job and I'll wear that shirt. And then at lunch break, I'll go in the bathroom and put on this green shirt with the Tinker Tray logo. I try to do goofy stuff to lighten it up because I think making people laugh definitely uh, helps, especially if it's done in the first few sentences or publicly presenting. 
especially in a VMUG situation where everyone's just there trying to enjoy a free lunch on their day off from work and learn some stuff. Right. And, and that's where hopefully I, I come across with, you know, a, a bit of humor and, and not taking myself so seriously. That's just me. Uh, this reminds me of um, fire flood and blood series from the virtually speaking podcast series, John Nicholson and Pete Fletcher did. They, they asked people what happened in your day jobs life. You're the first one to ask me that on a podcast from my home lab life. Oh, I've had so many. It's embarrassing to admit. I admitted one of them, the purple screen of death from jiggling in a US, an e-SATA cable that corrupted my file system. And there was some stuff in there that I didn't want corrupted. And frankly, a Windows VMFS, sorry, a Windows NTFS would be easier to recover from because it was a VMware VMFS file system on it and corrupted. That's tougher. And there was a product there I used for data recovery that cost me $700. It gives you an idea how much money I was willing to spend to try to recover that. So yes, we all have these behind the scenes, oops, moments where you lose some data you really wanted. And in that case, I had months of daily backups not working, right? So that's why I had some stuff I cared about in that six terabyte drive that failed me. It's because months had gone by where my daily backups weren't working common story, right? Maybe you, you rush through it. Maybe you don't set up email alerts to let you know when your daily backups work, whatever. We all have those problems. That's what a lab is. You're going to learn stuff from the rough edges. Uh, another oops would be, um, let's see, 10 gigs has been a challenge until ZND. I just got a, someone leaving a comment on my website. My comment, my comment area, my website's kind of unique, discusses the comment engine, but they're right on the front page of my site. So anyone can get a finger on the pulse, whether it's talking about uh, electric cars or UPS battery backup shutdown or ZND problems with 10 gig networking. It's all right there on the front page of my site. The public can comment and I only moderate it if there's something, you know, really inappropriate there. So, and delete it. But for the most part, I'd say 99% of it, whatever's published by people, it just goes up and stays there for eternity. And that's holds me accountable for the stuff I'm blogging about. Like someone posting two hours ago saying, he never got his 10 gig problems worked out and they're still at 50 degrees in his motherboard. In my case, I was still under warranty, mailed my motherboard to Supermicro and they replaced it. Looks like for him now that it's out of warranty, uh, they're not doing that. That's, it's not great, but it's also a system that's six plus years old, right? That's not too common, uh, uncommon in this industry, but either way, um, that would be another, that, that was a tough spot moving to 10 gig my home and having it be reliable and not drop the connection. That's been problematic for some people. Luckily for me, if a service, but it took three weeks for Supermicro to do in California where I shipped it in seems to have addressed it, but I don't use 10 gig as often as others. More and more people are using 10 gig these days for their NASs that have 10 gig. Um, another oops would be um, Veeam. I uh, did a good job with Veeam daily backups, but once in a while, um, some of my systems there uh, would also stop backing up or you'd have a huge backup that would take 28 hours after a major windows update. No big deal. Um, they're not really big ooses. It's just, I do try to keep an eye on the tray icon now on windows 11. I've been running daily backups to a windows uh, server. That's holding my repository. What I should have is a proper Veeam repository where automatically you get updates because there was a vulnerability in Veeam agent recently that should be just pushed and automatically installed and that have me to pay attention to something on my system tray on Windows 11. So you could call that a noobs. Nothing happened. It's a home lab. I'm behind a firewall and all that. But um, you know, there's always some risk and you don't want to leave yourself unpatched. So even me, relatively alert to patching stuff in my home, stuff still slips through the cracks like with everyone. Um, another oops would just be... Um, Let's see. Some motherboards I tested that were pre-release, they would blue, they would purple screen on VMware. So am I going to blog about something that purple screens on VMware and I never found a fix? No, 
life's too short. There's too much to vlog about. I have hundreds of articles that never got published. And some of those were like 90% done. And I just never got back to them because I either lost interest or went on to other projects. So with that big a hopper, with that wealth of stuff that just never saw the light of day, I don't tend to focus on negative stuff or things that just didn't work out other than if there's valid lessons that would help other people, a lot of grief. Great. But if it's a pre-release product, one-off that some vendor sent me and it didn't work out, there's no point in writing in the world about it. Right. You just, you're not helping anybody. Um, yeah. But you also think about you when they see your home lab. Uh, sure. I think the, the best thing would be when people realize it's not just a one-off I've done here, but it's something anyone can buy. They can buy the parts themselves and put it together. Or they can buy it as a turnkey solution in, in one chunk from that company called Wired Zone, who had to stop selling these last year due to pandemic and logistics and price reasons. But anyhow, it was a good six-year run. Whatever, once they hear that something's readily available that has two 10-gig interfaces and eight or 12 cores, and it's around two or $3,000 and 120 gig of RAM, their eyes light up because they're like, wow, that's a real server. That's not like a Core i7 gaming machine with 16 gig of RAM and a GPU. No, that's perfect for running VMware. I didn't know such a thing exists. And that would happen with a lot of like late 20-year-olds meeting me at a VMworld uh, at my VMUG booth or my blogger booth or my day job vendor booth where they'd be like, Oh, I recognize you from your videos on your blog. Cool to see here you here, you know, talking about uh, vSAN ready nodes for um I stood at the HP or Lenovo or IBM booth. I've I've represented many companies over the years. The most gratifying and fun thing would be when people thank me for my work. I actually read some of my articles or even bought some hardware, whether it's Wi-Fi or motherboard or something I've talked about and come up to me and thank me in person at VMworld. Just a lot of fun and very gratifying. Um, there's one fun moment where I had a customer, he's thanking me for my work and he's talking a little bit about patching VMware and something about a Duncan Epping post that he recently read. And I go, well, guess what? Duncan Epping, I, I was walking by at that moment. I spotted him over his shoulder and I, see, I quietly took Duncan Epping aside. I said, any chance you're willing to talk to this guy who's been, you know, talking to me for like 20 minutes about all kinds of great stuff. He'd love to meet you. He's like, oh, sure, sure. And it, it was just a magic moment for that customer to now not only know that I appreciated all of his stuff that he had read for, that I actually wrote. That's rare that I come across someone in the wild that would come up to me and, you know, read, tell me articles I've read that they find value in, but also that I got to, you know, match him up with Duncan Epping and he's just overjoyed to meet that rather famous person. Right. And so much fun to see him two days later at the closing of the VM world's concert night where his face just lit up when he saw me because he was thankful that I introduced him to Duncan Epping, you know, superstar of the virtualization world. Those are the fun things. And, um, so as far as the home lab, the parts that they're also sometimes impressed with, like, that I can put something in overhead luggage that weighs about 15 pounds and it does automated shutdown as UPS battery backup. If I fly with the battery, it's another 40 pounds, but whatever, something small and a small piece of luggage. And they're pretty impressed that that whole thing works. And that's exactly what I ran at home. The same thing I would take on the road. I literally just plug right back in the same way at home. DHCP, DNS, automated shutdown from UPS battery, all of that. They found that kind of impressive that I managed to find a solution that was compact and readily available and fully supported for VMware. So that would be the common theme, including things like jamming a PCIe card in there that could actually squeeze four additional full speed M.2 drives for people that wanted to tinker with things like vSAN. That could be very handy. Um, so I try to be creative in what I do and in the low fan speed and measuring watt burn and measuring heat output. I think those are the other things that people had fun with. I take a FLIR thermal camera to these VMUGs, aim it at the server and show how the heat's coming out the back or the CPU processor when I'm banging away at it, keeping it busy, wouldn't really heat up that much or, um, 
aim the FLIR thermal camera at the M.2 drive to show what happens when you actually clone that Windows VM, how much it heats up. I think people also got kind of impressed with that. Like, wow, this guy is thought to measure the decibel output and which components heat up and give us a look at all that on, you know, YouTube. You know, what a nerd. But that, that to me is a compliment, right? That's fun. Someone knows I, I like to do a deep dive on the stuff that I, I write about. What is a home lab for you? Yeah, I alluded to that a little bit before when you said the word home lab and I said, I run a little more like a home data center for me, since it's run 24 seven and I don't always use V expert licenses that are um, about a year, or I don't always use, I uh, certainly don't use 60 day trials from VMware. Um, sometimes I end up going to the VMUG advantage where at least I get a year and I can re-up the, re-up the licenses every year and just keep it running. So it's a home data center. If as long as every 365 days or less, I remember to re-up my VMUG advantage license my subscription for about $180. Um, I'm good. I can reapply license keys and keep that home lab running. Now there's one ESXi hypervisor that's actually production. Some of my VMs I leave running and I care about them. That one actually has VMware's um, cheapest edition, the essentials. Okay. So that for $300, I could open a trouble ticket on that one as well. So again, my home lab is much more of a home data center since I leave it running. I would say the motherboards that I leave and only put VMware on once in a while, and they're left kind of laying out in a worktop uh, workspace. That's really my home lab, the stuff that's not kind of in production and left running 24 seven. So it's a little different than most people see their home lab. I think most people look at how do I get my VMware certification as cheap as possible with something like VMware workstation as a VM, or maybe, um, maybe a low-end Intel Nook for under a thousand and just barely scrape by to get ESXi running just to get through the labs, but not to run anything important on. I'm completely opposite. I, I'm trying to figure out what is two to, th- what can I spend two to three grand on and minimal electricity costs on and leave it running, including running Windows 11 or running, and I actually ran Windows 11 and ESXi all in one box for about four years. Now I split it off into two boxes because I'm doing so many 4K videos. Um, but anyhow, so yes, my home lab is quite different. It's a different use case. So when people hear the word home labs and podcasts, it can mean wildly different things to so many different people. And I, and that's why I would never claim there's one solution for all. <laughs> there's so many different things people need to do. A lot of people need two U rack mouths with full rate controllers and a lot of electricity, 150 watts at idle. I did that myself. I understand some people need that. They need to replicate their data center at home. For me, it's about getting close to the data center with full VMware support but it's not the same hardware components that gobble electricity for hundreds of users. It's just me using it, right? What one piece of advice would you give for beginner home labbers? Hmm. Uh, do your homework, but don't get so shy about diving in. So home labs, you're going to be finding not just VMware forms, you're going to find a lot of uh, bloggers out. And I'm kind of expecting you're probably thinking more about the virtualization home labbers, right? Maybe not the pen testers of security, but maybe both. I've actually spoken to both kind of audiences. Either way, some of the basics, the themes you'd start to find as you read article after article about home lab, VMware particularly needs really fast storage to be impressed with the speed. You can get really crummy storage, like an, uh, an uh, a SATA drive that's an old crummy SSD with very slow writes. Guess what? Your Windows 11 VM is going to take uh, two or three minutes to clone, pretty much like a spinning rust would, versus if you get yourself an NVMe drive that is high write endurance and you spend $300 on it instead of 180 or something for a cheaper consumer version, well, guess what? Now you maybe can clone it in 10 or 20 seconds. So those components really do matter. A home lab is not a home lab is not a home lab. It's really helpful if whatever operating system you're planning on running on it, you do your homework and make sure that operating system is going to run on it for years to come. So you don't blow two or three grand and a year or two later lose support. And now you're angry. You lost that investment in your 
yourself and, and your hardware. You've added to landfill. To me, that's a disaster. Uh, if you buy something, you have to toss it a year or two later. That's just horrible. Paul, thank you so much for joining and have a wonderful day. Oh, thank you for having me. I hope it was helpful to your listeners. Appreciate the invite. You've been listening to the Home Labbers podcast. Our passion is to interview the leading IT experts and get tech enthusiasts all the information they need to become an expert. So if you run at home enterprise hardware and software and you like tinkering and self-learning, then you found your new podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit up the website at viondu.tech. On Twitter at hashtag viondutrending and hashtag home lab. See you next time on the Home Labbers Podcast.